0: Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it.
1: There will be spoilers in this episode specifically from the world Sarah J. Mass has created, as well as topics mentioning sex work, physical violence, and substance abuse.
0: everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today, literally moments ago, (laughs) our very own Jessica Marie has just finished reading Assassin's Blade by Sarah J. Mass. She's already read Throne of Glass and Crown of Midnight. So, Jess... What are your feelings? Oh, my God. My fucking heart. First, I'm
1: like, oh, I I, I think of (laughs) our trailer and we're like, and the importance of not being the first love interest is so important. He's a good man. They've all been good men. I hurt for her, but I understand with certain things. I'm just kind of all over the place. I know this episode, we're not going to have any structure. We're going to be back and forth between Throne of Glass and then Crown of Midnight. I finished Crown of Midnight on my birthday, and I, I, I put the book down. I couldn't even go to bed. I had to just walk away. And everybody I keep seeing on TikTok that are spoiler free, just everybody just keeps saying, you know, if for the first two books are kind of foundational, but like it really ki- get like kicks off into gear after that. And I go, how, how it gets better than this. And I don't know how it's going to get better. And I'm just so emotional. I, I,
0: I don't even know where to start. I, there's just a lot going on. So I, I think, um, I think a good place to start would be let's, cause it's the freshest. Let's just talk about Sam Cortland.
1: I physically until I had like Matt Donovan in my head for some reason until they un, until they were like, oh, he's dark. And then she came back from the summer and he's all tan. And I go, OK, that is not Matt Donovan. Um, but he's so nice. And I've, I feel like everybody knew and she knew, but was in denial about it, too, about her relationship with him.
0: Um, well, they're 17. <sighs> You know, like and it's such
1: and it's such a special. Like we've, you know, some of us have gone through that seventeen-year-old high school love, where it it doesn't negate the love that you have for that person. Like everything, it's it's all becoming, and even when they finally free themselves from Arabin. He's like, I, I, if you're going to hell, I'm going to hell with you. Everything is about your undying love for each other, which is so sweet and so pure. They're so – and and I think this is just reflective of Sarah's characters – is they were good for each other at that point in their lives. They were exactly what they needed. They understood even, even what was the part where he goes, you know, if I'm having like, oh, this, that was like, it's a double whammy because she was trying, she didn't know how to tell him her secret. And he respects her so much where he's like, look, that's your secret to tell, you know, you do it in your time, which I thought was such a beautiful thing because so often we get gaslighted into telling certain information that we're not ready to. And when she just winds up saying like a different lie, of how she's a coward. And then I think of Crown of Midnight with Nehemia, those being the last words, and they were already on repeat in her head. And then knowing that she, you know, sometimes we are our own worst critics. So then when the people you care about say the thing that you already thought about yourself, then you're like, "Wow, I knew I thought about that." But now the people that I love think that about me too. It just, oh, my fucking heart. And then when she, when but then when it seems like sometimes when I'm, when I do feel that way, I just say, "I am Sam Cortland, and I am not afraid." And then I remember that t- that she's been saying that in the first two books to herself. And then I realized right before this episode because Laura got me an awesome shirt for uh, a Crescent City shirt when La Hava goes, my friends are with me, and I am not afraid. <laughs> I just, I love, I love it. I love it. I, I've, I'm only, you know, in two, books one through two point five or whatever, and I, I love that I've so far read the series in the order that I have. I'm glad I didn't read Throne of Glass first. I'm glad I didn't, you know, I'm glad I've read Akatar series first, then I went to Crescent City, and now I'm here. And I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, but I, then, I, like, take again, take the relationships, like the romantic relationships out of it. I am so happy. I'm going to get emotional. I'm so happy that there are generations of younger girls who have, whether they can relate to, you know, Selena or Bryce or Farah, in regards to, you know, how confident they are or, you know, just maybe not as strong because that that's a whole different conversation that I'll definitely we'll definitely get into. I'm so happy that there's characters like these that Sarah has written for a younger generation that I know that I have never had. And to imagine growing up in a world not questioning it's not a matter of can I do that or when it's a matter of when, not an if. And I think that is such a beautiful
0: thing for for young women to be exposed to right now. I agree with you completely. I also think it's really important that in Sarah's characters, she never shies away from how they're feeling. Selena is angry and she's full of vengeance and she's, you know, stubborn and kind of mean and she she's all of these things because we are all of these things. And she's not perfect i mean my god she's not perfect and now you're allowed to be all these things and feel
1: all these things and it's not one or the other you know and i think back of our akamath episode i don't know when that's airing but in our akamath episode we say like it's not just about feeling one or the other you could feel them all because we feel them all it's It's overwhelming, and especially if you think about her age at this point. She's 16. She turned 17 in the Red Desert, and your hormones are all over the place to begin with.
0: It's a lot. (laughs) Now that you've read this, we can safely say that Sam Cortland is the foundation. He is the bedrock of what kind of makes up Selena. We know that she uses his mantra over and over. You know, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. And Sam is referenced enough throughout books one and two, where you have, you know, something happened. You have like the gist of a backstory. And now in Assassin's Blade, you know, the backstory, you know what happened. And it's, it's just, it's really important. And there's, I mean, there's a lot on TikTok. There's a lot on Instagram. And and just, like, real sad things. Like, uh, you know, Sam never knew that Selena was Aylin. Sam never got the chance to teach Aylin or Selena how to play cards. You know, he said, if we live through this, I'll teach you how to play cards. And they didn't. It's very sad. And I think a lot about what happened to Sam and how he must have been feeling. You know, he goes, he gets caught, he's drugged. We learn that he is tortured pretty horrifically. Oh, yeah. You know, he's blinded, his fingers are all broken, and he has slashes all up and down his chest, and his face is almost unrecognizable. We we know that. He's a 17-year-old kid. They might be assassins, but they're still 17. And he knew because of the the time frame that this happened, he knew that he wasn't going to be rescued. He knew that he was going to die there. And I just think that is the saddest, scariest part of that. It, it's very reminiscent of Danica in Crescent City when she couldn't stop herself and mm-hmm. and she knew what was going to happen and... I personally feel that very, I don't know, very strongly. That is kind of a really raw emotion that I don't think people touch on a lot. Just how scared he must have been just knowing that that was it. Nobody was coming
1: for him because there was, like you said, the time frame. It was just, if it's this time, then come get me. But by that time, it had already been too late.
0: Right, right, (sighs) right. And then – so, Jess, you just finished it. So, Arabin, like, how do you feel about Arabin? I saw in the notes that you had you had some – So, I was going back and forth for a while, but it
1: really – I guess I'll go backwards or I'll kind of put it, go all over the place. I had notes because he was just saying, like, I really do love you. And this obviously – Psych 101 goes into Selena's issues. She hasn't been able to say I love you to anybody, even though she's felt it. Clearly, we've gone through three people that she has loved in different capacities. I was very confused, I guess, because I was like, Does he love her like a daughter? Does he love her like maybe the way he shouldn't? Because of the paternal relationship. And then when he says to Farron, was of course. He's freaking working. Uh, it just like, uh, things just start clicking together when I think of book two. Let Arabin know that I'm out, that I'm working for the king, that I'm the king's assassin. You know, like, I'm not just the assassin of Otterlin. I run shit. And then when he goes, when Farron's like, why are you even doing this? He set everything into motion. His fragile masculinity is he was pissed that Selena left that she was with Sam that she chose Sam over him because eventually you know you find out that he was hoping it would be her, her his second in command sat like everything and then he says well i don't like sharing my things i'm sorry if i can't have her no one can have her sit the fuck down you small dick man He's such small dick energy. I hate him. I hate a lot of people. But it just, it screams how bad, it, how terrible of a person he is. And he's not the only guy who acts like this, whether
0: it's in Sarah's world or the real world. Arabin is, is I feel slimy whenever I think about him. Oh,
1: oh ew. I'm going to go there because we're just going to talk about it since you're feeling slimy. The fucking bidding? are you kidding me? And is it Lysandra or Lysandra? Uh, Lysandra. Lysandra. She's just, I mean, maybe it's because of how she was groomed and the fact that he uses Selena's money towards Lysandra, knowing how she feels about her. And I know that we didn't talk about this a lot this week. I had my notes because I'd like to keep notes. And then I was not allowed to make any more speculation. So basically, it was just some reaction videos that I was posting on TikTok and sending to Laura. I don't know if Lysandra's going to change, but I want to cut a bitch. Like, every time she opened her mouth, I was going to pop her. I'm sorry. That's just where I was at with her. And I still am. No wonder she's ready to go off when she saw her at Davis's party when she saw Archer in book two.
0: Well, and and you're talking about bidding on virginity. Yes, Selena mentions it in book two about Archer and how they Mm -hmm. had an auction for him too, because that's how the brothel is run. The top ones get bitted off like that, and it's just so disgusting. And I think we're so comfortable
1: talking about sex work and sex trafficking when it comes to women. And girls and children who are female, but nobody ever openly discusses that same topic with boys and men. And it's interesting to see that it was even brought up
0: at some point. It is. It's very interesting. Also, very interesting. Jessica, how do you feel about Selena and her big reveal at the end of Crown of Midnight? Who is Selena Sardothian? Aelin Galathinius. Very good.
1: I know with her, my notes, I was just questioning it, but then I was back and forth, and then I didn't know if Aelin was the fae version or if she... I'm still confused. I was. And then <laughs> I, have, I had seen some fan art, but I haven't been reading captions, But I was piecing certain things together. And I know in the beginning of Throne of Glass, I said, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I told you, Laura. I said, it's really interesting that Selena and Aelin both have blonde
0: hair. Yes, yes. Very interesting.
1: (laughs) You're like, that is interesting. I'm glad you're taking note of that. I just, I I was so, I did not connect the pieces for the longest time. And even at one point when she had gone through the portal, I was like, wait, is it possible? Is Selena, I, I'm so confused. But then I saw a fan art of, because I, I know what Rowan looks like at this point, just because of book talk and stuff. I saw a fan art with Rowan and Aelin, and then I saw Fleetwood, and then I remembered some meme somebody had posted about an inner uh uh, one of like the book talks that sarah had done at a barnes and noble or something and somebody had asked her a question and sarah said the only person who's safe in my novels is fleetfoot so i was like shit fuck Salado dies aelin and rowan adopt fleetfoot I, I I was already I was already there because of the fan art that I saw. I obviously know about the two of them because it's a spoiler at this point. <laughs> and I had told you the second I said in my notes, I really hope Selena and, K- and Kale are endgame. And then everything started clicking together. I go, oh, my God, she's this person. Oh,
0: my God, she's this person. <laughs> but also, thank God, because I... I was biting my tongue so fucking hard the whole time you were just going on and on about Kale because uh, I, I think maybe I just continue to have terrible taste in people. I,
1: but I never said, oh, Kale is my book boyfriend. I liked him for her at that time, just like I liked Dorian. But then when those pieces started clicking together, I'm like, they're cousins. No, why is nobody talking about the fact that they're cousins? But then I think of royalty now, and a lot of times they're, they're all still cousins related. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, that, it is what it is. I guess I'm really glad that they didn't sleep together.
0: <laughs> How very satisfying was it for you when you were reading Assassin's Blade and they're at the party? The comment of and he had sapphire eyes. And he's wearing the mask. And then there's the bodyguard behind him. And he's got the sword. Like, that's Dorian and Kale. A hundred. I, I loved knowing that. And I really appreciate that
1: you told me to read in this order. Because I don't want to say I'm in a rush to read them. I obviously really do want to read them. But I'm also thinking of our timeline with the podcast. It's easy to read books one and two. Read Assassin's Blade. And then want to start all over again knowing the information that we know now. So th- as much as, as I continue to read and I know I'll never have a what's a book or what's a series that you would wish you could reread again for the first time, right? It'll be interesting to go through an eventual reread knowing what I know.
0: It absolutely is, especially when you go back and read Throne of Glass. Everything, like it's all there, all the little hints all the foreshadowing and there's a lot of
1: knowing what we know at the end of book 2 there's a lot of foreshadowing in the, in assassin's blade i mean every little thing when she's as selena she feels the northern wind when she's talking about Terrace and her longing for um, I'm trying to look at the at the quote that I had sent you, where she's like, "The stag is the Lord of the North. It's always there, even when um, what is it? It's I'm, I'm trying to look the. It, so the people of and will always know how to find their way home. She there's just just such a kinship with her people and her land. And one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I don't know if you could answer this yet. Two questions that come to mind right now. One is Did Aerobin give her the name Selena? Do we find out how the origin of the name Selena was? Because he obviously knows who she is, because that's hinted throughout the entire Assassin's Blade.
0: It's not explicitly explained, but it is mentioned in later books. Okay. And then obviously there's going
1: to be a shift in how she's addressed. And I'm not looking at you because I don't want it to, <laughs> to give it away. When is that shift? Because I'm still referring to her as Selena because that's how I know her. But everybody is very open about Aylin and, you know, I, I have refused to even touch Etsy because there's names that are coming up. I have no idea who it is. I try to type in Selena for like even something for Selena merch. And then I think I saw something that came up for Aelin and I closed the window. I go, Nope, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Not yet because I don't know what's going on. I guess I just want to know when's that shift. Can you tell me you can totally say if you
0: can't, because you don't want to ruin it for me. I I can. The theory that, that Jess, I told you about the other day is that the books follow the the stages of grief. Mm -hmm. So if you go through the, Throne of Glass would be Shock. Denial is Crown of Midnight. She's not accepting. She's denying who she is and saying, like, you know, I am not going to do all of this. I don't care about everything that's going on. I'm just going to live my life. And these bigger, wider issues are not my problem. Right. That's her whole fight with Nehemia. The third book, Air of Fire, is Anger. Perfectly titled. Yeah. Yeah. So airfire is anger. I mean she she's working through all of her anger. Imagining what that kind of work entails will get you where you need to be when it comes to how you would address her, right? Because the next one is bargaining and that is very much queen of shadows. That's all I'm going to say. I, I don't want to, like, give anything away. No,
1: don't. And I've been really good. I haven't even read the synopsis of each book. I've just got, you know, I don't want to preview. I don't want anything. I just, I'm I'm just going with it at this point. And I know it takes me a while to get there. But then once I just start going with the flow, I'm, I'm gone. Like, I'm not trying to guess. I have speculations and stuff, as you know, but I'm totally in on this journey I'm immersed. I it's it's beautiful. And I've only read two books. And when I was towards the end of the second book, I was like, okay, like I'm not I'm not emotional. I'm I'm good. I'm good. And then it happened and I I I don't know if it's her writing or how I just process things, but it's I think of that meme where it goes, I'm fine, I'm fine everything's fine. And then it hits me like a fucking Mack truck and I'm like on the floor sobbing. It's hilarious. I'm laughing at myself, but I know I'm not the only person because everybody
0: processes this stuff differently as well. You're very right. And of course, one of the most wonderful things about our friendship is I never quite know how you're going to react to things. (laughs) And I really wasn't expecting that reaction out of Crown of Midnight, but I'm glad I got it. It's fantastic. And just knowing that you're so invested now, for me, knowing what happens is going to be absolutely wonderful. I will say that Throne of Glass, Crowd of Midnight, and Assassin's Blade is kind of, I'm not going to say a wrap up of Selena's story. But it's very telling that Kale knows who Selena is at the end of the book. Like, that's the first time we're like, Aylin. Selena is Aylin. And I think he says, like, she's the enemy of the king. I think it's also important because at the end
1: of, or, you know, in part of Assassin's Blade, Sam goes, When you trust me enough, I'm ready to listen. And she obviously never told him. And even despite the fallout that Selena and Kale had she trusts him enough with this not just life changing but world changing truth and secret and i think whatever happens in this next i guess i think chapter we can we can say like you know assassin's blade through crown of midnight is selena's like you said selena's story her chapter we all go on to our next adventure that chapter of Aylin's life i think it's important that kale had a big part of it you know like i said whatever happens there you know we go move on but he still he knows all he knows you know so what happens next i don't know
0: so what else do we know we know that kale knows selena is Aylin. has dorian put the pieces together
1: no, cuz it was Kale looking at the map. That's right.
0: Sweet, sweet Dorian. Oh man. He's got his own thing going on. Which I get. I get. I, I don't blame him,
1: you know. I think he's coming to terms with certain things and now he feels like he's doing it solo because Nahimi is not there. Whereas once he started admitting to himself the you know, his magic, it was too late. <laughs> To be like, well, he's. where do I go from here, you know?
0: And also, it's important to point out now that Kale is not comfortable with magic. That's kind of made clear by how standoffish he is after Selena came back through the portal. And he had seen her shift into Fae and use fire magic. And then she came back. And uh, they, their relationship already strained, already very much broken. It's not there anymore. And he's very reserved. He he doesn't like speak to her. I remember he's leaning up against the door when the healer is patching her up. It's just kind of awkward. And even in regards to Dorian,
1: after the whole magic exposure of it all, he's just thinking it's her. He's like, why does why does she need his blood? He's curious and questioning dorian not understanding well why does she keep looking at him when magic is involved and in that regard it's very he's very much the king's soldier Boo magic boo you what i would give for some fucking magic <laughs> i feel like julia you know you know julia and the magicians yeah she's like i'll do anything i just like i that's how i feel i would be
0: like julia I think it's also important to point out just now, just we're all so we're all on the same page. How fucking hot Dorian is! He he's my guy. He's very on brand. Yeah, no, he's he's gorgeous. He's charming. He's got power. He dark hair, very emo. He's also funny and and skilled. Like he's smart. Yeah, he reads books, and he is never afraid of Selena ever i feel personally that dorian sees selena as and this probably goes back to a lot of things more as like a like an equal
1: yeah in a way i totally
0: saw that yeah where kale doesn't he he keeps saying like you know you need to stay away from her she's dangerous you know she's just an assassin like we pulled her out of the mines and dorian treats her differently which Knowing now that, you know, they've met before. But even if that backstory isn't
1: there, I think there's a, it shows Dorian's respect to Selena as a person that it's not, you're just an assassin. You're just the slave from the salt mines. You are a person who has worth and value. And even in Throne of Glass, when she's writing the letter because she's requesting books, somebody says, you're not supposed to write the prince. You know, Selena goes, I do what I want, basically. It reminds me of Rusan when he goes, because I can. (laughs) And that's what she, okay, and I am still going to correspond with him. And I think, like you said, that's really important to note because he was bored with all the suitors that his mother kept presenting and he was always challenged by Selena because nobody would speak to him or challenge him the way that she
0: did right right speaking of, of women I know you have a thought or at least a little bit of an opinion about Caltaine uh,
1: I, I, I don't I, what I don't even know I don't like her but I feel bad for her because she's definitely a pawn and everything that doesn't change the fact that every time she's showing up Currently, again, I wanna punch her when Nehemia died and Selena's in the prison and Calteen goes, Oh, well, that sucks. I get to get married. Read the room. I don't fucking care about your stupid marriage. In my head also you'll appreciate this, Laura. I imagine Duke Barrington looks like the Duke in Moulin Rouge. Oh. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the title Duke. But it
0: probably is the title Duke. But I
1: imagine, especially when he's described, because he doesn't really have a physical description, but that slimy smarminess that he has around Calteen and always trying to get her to do more than she wants. And she's just trying to be flirty, especially on the first book.
0: I just get the Duke vibes all the time and it creeps me out that much more it was implied though never explicitly stated that he was raping her while she was in the prison
1: oh yeah that that and all the and the guards turned a blind eye and all that 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 really that made me really sad because i mean anything about that topic is very you know
0: so if we're and if we keep going on the theme of women that piss selena right off I think we can go straight to Ansel in the desert. You know, that one hurt. That betrayal was a a bit painful because Selena just desperately wanted a friend. And she thought she had a friend. And
1: a female friend. She never had a female friend. And I can't remember if we've had this discussion on the podcast or not. But I think so often, especially in society, we're taught that boys will come and go. Girls will come and go. Whatever, you know the romantic relationships will always come and go but your platonic friendships will quote unquote be there for be there forever they're going to be the relationships that get you through things so when you have a betrayal in friendship sometimes that seems even more heart-wrenching because that was supposed to be the person that you get to confide in, to hang out with, to do everything, even if other things don't work out. You know, those platonic friendships are essentially the, quote unquote, a way to find your found family past the romantic relationships, right? How awful, how awful and shitty. And it came from what the Mute King was saying was like it came from a place of hurt and a place from anger. And not that it's acceptable, but I think it says a lot about that king of the type of leader that he is. And he did it with all of his assassins. And I think it said a lot how he treated his people, how he treated his kingdom, and having that understanding that even though he didn't agree with her, he understood. He goes, it came from a place of hurt. That doesn't make it okay. There is a lot a lot of growth and understanding there that not everybody gets to that level of understanding, especially as a leader. And I think it says a lot about his character, Which I also think translates into Selena, not just in that moment, but her as a person. And maybe this is just how Sarah writes a lot of her characters. The selflessness that she has. You know, she's very much a, you can do whatever you want to me. You can say whatever you want to me. But don't hurt the people I care about. And the fact, you know, you see it in the beginning of Assassin's Blade where... Arabin has the people beat her or has them hold Sam down and she thought he was going to get like completely tortured and she was going to have to watch and then it wound up being they were holding him down to not fight off the people who were going to beat her up and her thought before she passed out was I'm so glad it wasn't him. It had nothing to do about her being in pain. It had everything to be like, oh, well, thank God it wasn't him. I'd rather it be me. And you see that again in books one and two, when she wins the championship, the king doesn't say, he's if you betray me, if you go against this whole agreement, you're not going to get hurt. Kale's going to get hurt. Nehemiah's going to get hurt. Her family's going to get hurt. It's never about her. It's that emotional torture that would hurt her more than the physical torture, and i I just I see that becoming a reoccurring theme
0: in her selflessness through her journey, sure, that's kind of a criticism that they have of her but before before I, I move on to this other point, I just want to say that one of the things that I found personally so painful about Ansel's betrayal was that. When Ansel and Selena are riding the horses on the beach, they make a point to say that that's one of the only times, one of the first times where she was just carefree and happy on the beach with the horse and the wind and just that feeling. She was happy. She felt free. And then it all just came crashing down.
1: And this is a lot because of, you know, how she was found, how she's been working under Arabin. I feel that that also happens a lot, that basically if you're an orphan, you get adopted either by the madams or, you know, assassins, and then you're forever indentured to them. So there is no such thing as freedom. You're constantly being watched. There's just, you're always on alert. You're reporting to somebody. So the fact that even though she was in the Red Desert, like you said, she had that sense of freedom. When was the last time that she had that? And maybe she'll have a flashback. I don't know
0: yet. But it says a lot about her and her journey. It does. And, and Ansel, Ansel's story is important for, uh, I mean, a lot of reasons later on. But we get a little bit of the witch Kingdom backstory and the Witch Kingdom geography, which is repeated again during the carnival when Selena goes to see um, Yellowlegs in, in in the wagon of mirrors. And I know that you are aware of Manon. I know that you don't like know anything about Manon, but you will meet her very soon. But the, the background of the witches and the witch kingdom is important.
1: Is there a summary somewhere? Because I feel like there was a lot of info dumping with the the witches and the witch kingdom. And I want to look for it, but I don't want to be spoiled.
0: It's not necessary. It's okay. repeated enough throughout all of it that you will understand it without like even meaning to. I always forget during these rereads because I don't. When I reread this series, I usually start with Air of Fire and go that way uh, just because everything that happens to Sam is very painful and Throne of Glass. I feel like I know it backwards and forwards, so I don't really read Crown of Midnight very often, but I always forget about that damn carnival and I always forget about Yellow Legs and, and everything that she says and that she like knew about Dorian and all of that. Do and this is unrelated, really. Maybe it
1: will be later down the line. Holland is feels like a background character. They just kind of throw his name out there. He's the spoiled prince. He has this carnival, blah, blah, blah. He's the, the, he's the son that study you know, who's at boarding school. Does he come back in? Or are we just pretending that, like, oh, he's the prince? Again, I'm not looking at you. If Dorian dies, Holland is technically the crown prince. So there might be a role there. You know what? Don't answer that i don't know i don't even want you to never mind i don't need to worry about that it'll play out the way it needs to play out (laughs) sorry if you guys are listening and you probably are screaming at us like yes or no i really don't want to know i i love a good surprise i i hate terrible
0: surprises in my life but with these books i don't even know how the fuck it'll go (laughs) and as i told you earlier it's really just important that you are aware of names. Yes. So like Roland, for example, Dorian's cousin. Yes. Right? Like it's, it's not like super important that we know about him, but we need to know his name. And we know that Roland left with Caltain and Parrington to go. We, we know they're all together. They, they left. They're not um, in the castle.
1: To go to LA.:
0: Yeah, they all went away.
1: Speaking of going away,
0: and I think of Elway and I think of Nehemiah,
1: there was a part in Crown of Midnight where the point of view shifted and they were talking about a slave and it wasn't a slave and andavir It was a slave, maybe an Elway or something. And they were saying this person was there and they found out that Nehemiah died. And then I th- remember texting you. I go, oh, my gosh, is that slave Aelin? But now that I know that Aelin was always in the castle, it's somebody else. I have not met this person yet.
0: It is not somebody else. That is just a passage to show that slave camp started a revolution. Okay. That is all that is.
1: So it was just like how word travels. Yeah. If it were a movie or if it was like this visual thing, it would be that flash of meanwhile over here. Yeah. This is what's happening. And then transition and goes to the next scene. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I have another question. You know, when Sam is talking to Selena about what he had to give to Arabin or something of why he's never going to touch her again. And Sam says he forgives Arabin and said if he stopped touching or like hurting her or whatever, any physical contact with Selena, he'd forgive him. Do we know what he's forgiving
0: him for? For beating Selena. But what does forgiveness have anything to do? So, so after after Selena comes back from the Red Desert, and Arabin is like, "Forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for beating you." Right. And he gives her the brooch and and all of that stuff. Arabin runs a really tight ship with Sam and Selena. Those are his two favorites, more or less. Right. So when that happened, when Arobin starts beating Selena and the three assassins are holding back Sam. Sam is screaming at Arobin, I will kill you. I will kill you because Sam is deeply and desperately in love with Selena at this point. Right. But Selena doesn't really realize it. So in order to continue like a tight ship working situation, there can't be any sort of grudges or bad blood so in order to alleviate that that is where the forgiveness kind of comes in so even even if it's not real even if it's like a fake kind of thing it's like a concession all right i will forgive you if you promise to never lay a hand on her again Oh, and
1: because of the way he runs things, like that forgiveness, mean, goes further because of it's not just them two. He has his own league of assassins. They ca- he calls it the guild, the guild of assassins. He needs everybody to stay in line. Yeah, okay. That I was, I that was one of the things that I just said. Forgive him for what? I don't understand, and I knew all what we had just discussed but i didn't make the the
0: correlation yeah that that's 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 one of those things uh i think it's important that we bring up the pirate lord we bring up rolf
1: yeah i feel that i didn't pay attention as much in that part because i was because i think i just had in the back of my mind oh i can i could do this half listening and i couldn't i i did it for that part of the book and I that wasn't something I should have done.
0: So the, the most important things that we need to remember about Rolf and and the and the Pirate Lord and, and Skull's Bay and all all of that goodness is we need to know that Sam and Selena freed the slaves, mm-hmm. fucked up his ships, mm-hmm. brought down one of the towers and the catapults, and that there is something called shipbreaker, the big chain that keeps the cove safe. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to know about this is that Rolf has everything called the sea dragon. That's important. It's the name of his boat. It's the name of the inn. It's on his sword. Everything is in the shape of a sea dragon. That is important. And then I think the third most important thing about what happens in Skulls Bay is we learned that Rolf sold his soul to get a map on his hands that moves and shows like treasure enemies and like the tides and all the important stuff that a sailor would need. And that when magic left, it's not clear yet in these books what happened to magic, but how can I phrase this? When what happened to magic happened, his map stopped working. So now he just has
1: a tattoo of maps on his hand that are of no use. Exactly.
0: It's just a tattoo of the continent and and it doesn't so now he sold his soul
1: for nothing. Right.
0: And it do, it doesn't work. <gasps> oh, that's, yeah,
1: it seems like it could be a big thing.
0: So th- those are the important parts of, of that story. And I really like Rolf as a character. I think he's great. He comes back. I mean, I guess
1: he does come back. If we're saying we have to remember about the sea dragon, I mean, some of these names. Who's the other name? Irene. I remember she's. I feel like she's gonna. Everybody come that's to named later on,
0: is, like, is is important. Right. Everyone that's named and that Selena has kind of a prolonged interaction with is important. So I'd say Rolf and Irene absolutely. Ansel is definitely coming back. Yeah, Ansel, Sam, Arabin. What? Sam's going to come back? Well, no he's, no, he's just important. Well,
1: I never know what these sci-fi, f- fantasy, anybody, you know, I just live in the,
0: they'll, they'll come back. They always come back.
1: <laughs> and I'm learning that that's not the case.
0: So, uh, you know, that's actually a really good point and it will segue into another really good discussion. Sam is dead. Sam is not coming back. Throughout the course of this book series, Throne of Glass, people will die. People die and it sucks and it's sad. And just like in Crescent City, people die and it sucks and it's sad. And the major criticism between Throne of Glass and Akatar, there's a few, but the big one I, so I've far seen, I've seen is that way. no one has died yet. Or if they die, they keep coming back. They came back, back yeah. which makes everything kind of anticlimactic. And I know that we've talked about that before. Which is also where the fan theory,
1: I mean, we'll, we'll come back, we'll circle back in a second, but goes to back to the fan theory that we keep seeing on TikTok of nobody has died yet. So who's to say that it might be Cassian in Silver Flames, especially with Elaine making the comment as the seer, as she did. And maybe that's more of a trajectory for, for Nesta. But we digress. We'll circle back at a later time as this is our Throne of Glass part one.
0: So since it is Throne of Glass and since you have now read, you know, 2.5, you are pretty familiar with Selena. And just as Selena, and I, and I sent you the TikTok about how people don't really like Selena and they they have a hard time with her and the selena Farah comparisons.
1: I said right off the bat, I read Throne of Glass, first couple chapters in, I go, I love her, I love her swagger, I love her confidence, I get such Bryce vibes, I love Selena. I was here for Selena, I love all her little quips, I love and even later in Crown of Midnight. I love where she goes, I'd brag about me if I slept with me too. I love that sense self that sense of self and that self confidence and I think there's this influencer who I really love and she used to be very, she's very open about how saying she didn't have much self-confidence and she's completely switched the narrative and she goes you need one not only do you need to be your own best friend but two why can't you switch the narrative and why can't you have a sense of self anybody can do it and I think that As somebody who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, that's why I love Selena and Bryce, because I think, man, I wish I could emulate that. I wish I was so sure of myself the way these two strong characters are. They're not strong and self-assured for no reason. It's rightfully earned. They deserve to, to give themselves a pat on the back. How come it's okay for... Men to do that, but it makes people feel uncomfortable when women act in the same way. That being said, I had posted a TikTok, you had seen it, and I gave basically a shorter answer to that. And there's been some debate through the comments, and I appreciate everybody making the comments because they say, well, look, this is the thing with Selena and Bryce, this is the other thing with Farah, and I understand we Everybody is defending who they support because it makes sense. Because even when reading, because like we said, I read Akatar first. I think we could all relate to Pharaoh when you're unsure, you're emotion- you're emotionally strong but not necessarily physically strong, or things you know ebb and flow and where we are in our mental state. And there is a relatability with Pharaoh, right? There is a we can all see ourselves in her, and at the same time. That because we could see ourselves in her, we know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We understand that you you could find and dig in yourself for that strength that sometimes we need to find, even if we don't feel strong all the time. So I understand. I un I understand where people are coming from, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean she's a bad character, you know. And I think that's the debate that people think it has to be either or, but I understand where if you're comparing people, you're like, oh, they're they're two very different people, Selena and Feyre. But just like we're all very different people, that doesn't make you know make me like somebody less because they have more confidence than somebody else. But it's really interesting to see that debate that it has to be either or and why it can't work together.
0: And if you use the comparison of like Feyre. Farrah- Vera is like white bread and Selena is like, I don't know, like chocolate ciabatta or something like, you know, both <laughs> are good in separate occasions. Like sometimes you want one, sometimes you want the other. There's no reason why you can't love both. Especially bread. Who doesn't like bread? Yeah. Who doesn't like bread? To carb in any form. and And to like pull the characteristics that you need at that time from those characters. You know, sometimes you want to... I think of uh look at things the way that Thera looked at things when she first crossed over into Prithian. You know, everything was brighter, the food tasted different, kind of have a a sense of wonder. And then Selena is very jaded. You know, she's young, but she is so shaped by everything that's happened to her that she's like a blade. You know, she's sharp, she's capable. And she can read people and she doesn't fall for bullshit. And sometimes you need to draw from that too. And I think it speaks to Sarah that she can write characters that are so different. Even at Farah's most fierce, she is not Selena.
1: No, she's fierce in her own right, which is just like. Each one of us as individuals are fierce in our own light. We all have, and I know we talk about this through like our Instagram stories, and we all have different lived experiences, right? So we're going to be interpreting and applying the lessons that we're taking from, you know, there's always going to be those overarching themes but we're going to be applying them differently based on how we've experienced life or how we haven't experienced it. And you know everyone's going to have a different lived experience. What I went through at 13 is is going to be something different than somebody else went through at 13. What you go through in your 20s and stuff is going to be completely different from somebody else. And then you also have people who, depending on their lived experiences, they could be going through things at 15 that people don't go through till their 20s and 30s. So I think it's just very different. And to... I guess encapsulate that with each of her characters in their own regard to what you said. It says a lot about Sarah as a writer because there isn't just one person. You know, there isn't a cookie cutter thing for anybody except, you know, a, a nice male who's dark hair and light eyes and
0: just are so dreamy. Hey, we lo- we love Dorian here. <laughs> I cannot speak enough about how much i love dorian i can say that i have not found
1: my throne of glass male yet i will say that which is fair the way i cried about race. i can say that i ha- i don't feel that way about any of the males that i've met yet i think they've been i think they've been nice i think they've been good for her at the points in the, her life that she's had her involvement with
0: but cool all right next <laughs> no. So that's a really good way to transition onto what do you expect from the rest of the series? Heart and heartbreak. <laughs> well, like you know about Rowan. You know that he exists. and do you know what he looks like? I mean, I've seen fan
1: art. I know he has like whitish hair or blonde hair. A lot of people or a lot of the fan art that I've seen, he has a tattoo on his face. Oh, and his hair is short. and he's he doesn't like he doesn't look like your basic white boy. He also doesn't look, you know, so, okay. But I don't know his story now she, that she was basically sent off, unbeknownst to Kale, to her family, who has fae ties. I don't know who she's going to meet over there. I don't know if Arifire is going to be very, while this is happening in Otterlin and Rithfold. Riff is it R-I-T or R-I-F?
0: R.I.F.T.
1: Rift. R.I.F. Oh. Riftfold. Sorry, guys. I do the audio, so <laughs> let me just say that I've been doing the audio for this book. I don't know if it's like, well, this is happening over here in Ireland. This is happening over here in her aunt's lands. Wendelin. Wendelin. So I don't know. How, how it's going to play out. I know there's going to be war, there's going to be adventure, there's going to be some sort of takeover at a point. It'll be interesting to see, and this is all based on assumption, when things start clicking for the king of Arlen, that, oh shit, she knows. Or that he realizes who Selena is because at the end of Crown, of Crown of Midnight, all he knows is somebody opened a portal. It was just for a nanosecond, but I could feel it. And I know he has that special ring. I think I had made a comment to you. I go, Is he a demon? Is he something? His eyes turned black. And I only thought of that because of Supernatural. So now I'm wondering the connection there. Again, I'm not looking at you because I don't want to see any reactions. So. I really, I don't want to dig so much into it because part of the thing, if I start digging too much, I start getting ahead of myself. And I've finally gotten to the place of enjoying the journey instead of trying to make speculations. And I think that's also difficult because I think we've already established at this point, I like being right. (laughs) and I try to jump the gun. And if I have speculations, fine. If I don't, if they're wrong, okay. But it's it's fun to try to guess what's going on before it actually happens. Like with Kane, when things started snapping into place for Kane, I was really excited. And I even told you, like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I, I don't know. But I just want to keep reading and finding out more.
0: Comparing the world's Do you feel that this setting, this world is bigger than the world that was set up for us in Akatar?
1: I think it's already bigger and I haven't even gone everywhere because sometimes I I keep the map of Aurelia up when I'm reading to try to get a a geographic location of where, where the references are and I'm pretty much on the right side of the map a lot of the time at least the first couple books until in assassin's blade where ansel is talking about her territory and the witch kingdom and Briarcliff, and you know and then you you learn about the desert you know the red desert and everything so i feel there's there's a lot of crisscross happening but it also helps understand why travel is taking so long it's taking two weeks if you look at riffold and then in proximity to andivir that was two weeks and it's like this much Uh, i'm holding an inch Sorry, i was was holding up to the screen Uh, so and then when they're talking about going over to the red desert that was over a month's journey, so it's it's really interesting. It's there's a lot going on that I still feel like I don't understand. Everything is all over the place. I do look forward to now that we know about Selena. I do look forward to finding out more about Terrason and just seeing, just maybe even seeing that world. You know how there's TikToks of the different courts in Prithian. Oh, don't worry. I have this saved for you. Oh, that's fine. Yay. Don't worry. To just have a visual, because I just right now, I just imagine it as this cold place, because they always say, like, the cold north wind. It's in the north. You know, there's a lot of reference to it being cold, not in a inhabitable sort of way. I'm just interested to learning more. And I feel in regards to pace, I'm typically a speed reader, But I know these are these are clearly books that you can't just go right in. You know, I'm sure some people do. And thank God when they first came out, you were done with the book and then you waited. You had to wait and you sit with that more and you process it more and then it just kind of spirals and you go on and on and on. And now with all the books available and the popularity with Book Talk and Bookstagram and just everybody wanting, you know, and we're all stuck inside quarantine and wanting to just immerse yourselves even further. It really is the spiral of you want your fix. You want to just kind of submerse yourself in all the information, as much as possible, as fast as possible, and somehow trying to still digest everything from before, because you you want to go into the next thing so quickly, but you still have to process everything that you just found out. Also, I don't know. What would you say to people that have not read Assassin's Blade? In regards to should they read it first? Because I've seen people starting with Assassin's Blade, and now after reading it, after books one and two, I thought... Wow. You are totally missing out on the Assassin's Blade experience if you're starting off with it.
0: That's a good point, but that's not even what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a, I'm going to say, significant portion of the fandom that have not read Assassin's Blade and also have not read another book in the series. Oh, that's The Tower of Dawn, right? Yeah, that haven't read Tower of Dawn. They just they just won't uh, for whatever reason, but now... What do you say to people that won't read Assassin's Blade? Because, oh, it's a prequel. It's not, like, necessary to the story. If it wasn't necessary to the story, it wouldn't have been written. Boom. There you have it. (laughs) And also,
1: like, from an audio perspective, I remember telling you, I said, how is the novella longer
0: than the second book? Yeah. You know, I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. Assassin's Blade is foundational. You need all of that, especially as the series goes on, but you really need to have that relationship with Sam because it's brought up over and over and over again. I know when you reread Throne of Glass and you reread Crown of Midnight, he's all over it. Right. Even in like like little like throwaway kind of sentences and. Well, even I can't
1: think of specific examples right now, but there were throwaway things in Assassin's Blade. You just knew What would be considered throwaway in Assassin's Blade was a direct connection to either Throne of Glass or Crown of Midnight. And you wouldn't make that connection
0: if you read Assassin's Blade first. Yeah, no, absolutely. If, if, If Assassin's
1: Blade was supposed to be first, that would have been the first book.
0: Yeah, you you can't read Assassin's Blade
1: first. But it's like when you're getting to know somebody and understanding their history, right? You're getting to know, you know, first you're just finding likes and dislikes. And then when you start going a little bit deeper and how they were in high school, and then you start sharing childhood stories, and then you also like maybe you get to the childhood traumas at some point. Those backstories are foundational in understanding who a person is. So understanding this backstory is foundational in this pivotal character imagine prequels for Akhtar like what was happening not even just a throw away like here's a chapter in 500 years ago or here's 50 years ago of under the mountain stuff that was happening in Valeris. not so much pharaoh's life but the inner circle before under the
0: mountain When they were like kids and stuff too i, would yeah, that. I
1: love that shit oh my goodness
0: quickly back to what you were saying um in crown of midnight when it's kale's birthday and dorian gives kale the horse right and selena's like oh yeah you know i i had i had this horse like i stole this horse you know from from uh the king of xandria or whatever and they're like what she's like you know maybe one day i'll tell you that story and now you know that story and you know how special that horses to her and what that moment meant and but even after it it's so special because okay yeah it was like at first she
1: was we're stealing these horses and then it was this it's special and she felt free right free for her oh my god I just and then the significance of freedom Crusada has because she sells Crusada for Sam's freedom Crusada symbolizes freedom from the beginning first she frees Crusada. From that King Barak, I think his name is. Lord Barwick or something. She frees the Crusada from the stable. Then in turn Selena frees, feels free. And then she sells Crusada for freedom for I mean, it's beautiful. It's actually really beautiful.
0: It is, isn't it? And you wouldn't know. People that don't read Assassin's Blade, you don't you don't have I feel like you're missing fifty percent of the story. Even though, you know, the, the series is complete. Without Assassin's Blade, but you're you're missing so much because Sarah doesn't introduce characters willy nilly. Like every everybody has a purpose, everyone has a reason. I've I've learned the second they have a name, I know that that just
1: like Calteen, I, I know she's a throwaway character. I know she has a name for a reason. I don't know the reason yet. I still want to punch her in the face, but I also feel bad for her because she's clearly a pawn and a bigger plan and the conduit for something. But
0: that doesn't mean I don't like her right now. is <laughs> you know? important in in these two books, just as you said, a pawn. And I remember you texted me and she's like, why isn't anyone talking about the fact that they all have headaches? Everybody's having headaches. What does this mean? And I think that Caltain having an opium addiction to deal with her headaches is really important and something that people don't talk about a lot. She was... Trying to scheme her way like into Dorian's bed or whatever, but she was also going through something, and at this point we don't know what that something is, but she had an issue there was something wrong, and she didn't possess the tools to figure out what it was because even like Selena has those headaches. she's like, What the fuck is like why and the
1: headaches are more reoccurring if they're
0: reoccurring when it's in the castle right and that all, yeah, all of it. It's all, it's all, it's all very, <laughs> it, it's all very. And I know we haven't touched on it in this episode, but that's fine because as Sarah tells us, everything is repeated, but uh, the importance of Nehemia and the importance of EOA is brought up again. But I just want to say again, that is another friend that Selena, another female friend that Selena lost, yeah. not necessarily through a betrayal, and she also
1: did the self-sacrifice thing because when Nehemia was talking to Elena, she even says, as we know in the when they're in the passage, she goes, "She's not going to like this. She's not going to survive it." And it's this whole, it's very Pharaoh slash Reese slash everybody of self-sacrifice of gr- the greater good, and that's exactly what I thought of when she when you connect the dots, and then. Nahimi is willing to do anything for her people, for anything for the greater good. You know that. You know that with her fight that she has with, with Selena. And she, she even said, she goes, this is going to break her. And Elena goes, she's been broken before. She can pick herself back up. This is what needs to happen to light the fire that she doesn't know in herself.
0: And speaking of breaking, how emotional was it to be with Selena as she rolled up in the prison cart to Endovir and her knowing where she was going and being so scared. And she says, like, we're approaching this giant wall. And, of course, in Assassin's Blade, we don't know what that is, but we know later that that is the, the wall that no one gets, you Pass. know, within certain – and she almost touched it. And, uh, you know, she she says the mantra. she She says that she won't be afraid, and she – Basically says, like, I I will not break here. But before she does that, she's so scared. She's
1: so scared. And even with the when she saw the stag, I sent you a picture of me crying because she's going through that quote. And she it wasn't just a figment. It reminded me of when Harry saw his dad's Patronus, the stag that winds up being his. And that's oh, man, that's completely symbolic, too, that it is a stag for a And then it wasn't moving, and she's just screaming, run. There's two moments that you really, in Assassin's Blade, that I feel like she feels scared for her life. And it's when she's in the sewer. And in that moment on the way to Andavir, you know, she's she is a badass. She is an assassin. She's very, you know, cocky, especially when she gets caught, because she can typically get out of everything. She mentions how Arabin he trained her, which I think oh, my, I feel like, especially as women, we should always be trained to know how to get out of a situation first. And then you you build up the self-defense. So I understand that part of her training. And she can't get out of this those are the two moments And the way sarah writes it you are scared for her you feel her fear and especially when the king of otterland he's like you're going to be there for nine lifetimes and it's going to be slow or it's going to be you're going to feel every single moment that you're here and you're, people aren't sup- expected to survive being here
0: you bring up a really good point about the sewer that was the first moment where you said where I was really afraid for her. And she's like, she's got all that water and the grate's not opening. And like Sam's knife is breaking, trying to, trying to get her out. And she, they're holding hands. And she's like, just take my body back to Terrison, And then it just cuts to black. And then, you know, but you're just like, oh, my God. Wow. It was just very powerful. It's one of those very powerful moments. Uh and this is only
1: <laughs> these are only... That's the best part is everybody keeps saying, you know, like this is this isn't even supposed to be the emotional part, you know, and you're like, "Well, thanks. Thanks. I'm just going to have a heartbreak for the rest of my life." Yeah, like the- these aren't even How... How does anybody read books after this? You know, I just obviously I will read after this, but to have the same impact to <sighs> I, there's something to there's so much adventure i there's so much emotion there's a lot there's a, <laughs> there's a lot going on and i don't know how to phrase it a lot of the times because it just sounds like i'm a rambling mess and i'm going in circles
0: well, you asked me when you started this, you're like, Oh well, am I gonna have a book hangover? And I said, I mean, without any hesitation, like yes, yes you will. I don't know how long it will last because as I stated earlier, I can't predict how you're gonna react to things. But I do know that you will have a book hangover with this.
1: And you could say that knowing how bad my book hangovers were for Akamath and Akawar. And Crescent City it wasn't that bad. It was like I it took me a couple days and I read the next book. But from Akamath to Akawar, it took me two weeks. And you said, maybe just reread Akatar and Akamath and then go back into Akawar and you'll transition better. And I couldn't get through Akatar because I was just so bored. I already knew what happened. Then I tried with Akamath and I go, no, because I was just getting emotional all over again. And then I finally it was just I had to bite the bullet and however I processed it I processed it so that's why I don't know how long it's going to take me to go through the series between the book hangover between books or do I read a a lighter book in between to try to not be so attached to the characters in the story but also isn't that part of the whole experience now that I get to read them all back to back and I'm not waiting years between books so I don't know.
0: Yeah, I my professional opinion. <laughs> you, know, you, not say a professional. That you are
1: totally you have a master's in education and literature. This is totally, <laughs>
0: totally a professional opinion. Blow through them all. You know, you're at three, just go through and finish them because everything will be fresh. All the details will be fresh and, and the emotion is what it is. <laughs> now, as this is a bonus episode and we're not entirely sure when it's gonna be airing, although we have an idea just the way that things are sandwiched in. We're also not sure what will be next. Yeah, we don't really have. Yeah, so I don't know what is going to be next in the airing schedule after this episode. So I have nothing to promote here.
1: <laughs> but we have... We're. I'm trying to get into the habit of posting on our Instagram account and also on my personal TikTok of the calendar. So if we have a bonus episode coming for that week, we'll definitely add it in there. I think it helps to get excited of what you're looking forward to. I think we've also said before we are full of spoilers. We are, you know, we are not a spoiler-free podcast. A, a lot of things overlap, a lot of things intertwine, especially in you know that the world of the worlds of SJM. Luckily, we have a pretty, you know, we're pretty themed with everything. So if we're talking about Acemach and you want to listen to that one, but you haven't read A- War yet, go for it. But just know that there are going to be spoilers, just like in this, this episode. We we're just kind of going back and forth between Prithian and... Um... But I digress. We try to we try to let you guys know. We wanna let you know also in the episode descriptions. Laura's been doing a great job about kind of giving an outline of what we're talking about, any spoilers or triggers that we're going to be talking about. I think that's really important. Yeah, but we look for we hope you will like this bonus episode. We don't know how often it's going to happen because of the way I'm reading this, but the Throne of Glass series is definitely going to be something to incorporate into this because it's fun. It's not 2020. you know, And I think that's one of the things that I said to you in Throne of Glass. One of the quotes that I really liked was, I can survive well enough on my own if given the proper reading material. And yes, I mean, if we're not all feeling that at this point. (laughs) So I think that was great. Such vibes. And let's see how 2021 goes. I'm not going to say yay. I'm not going to say Nay, we're just going to go with
0: it. We'll just go with it. And we will be posting whatever episode is next after this. And I hope you enjoy listening. And, you know, let us know in the comments what you want us to talk about. We want to be as interactive as possible, but also talk about the stuff that we actually like. (laughs) Well, and I think, Laura, she's
1: came up with a really good idea. So if you think we haven't spoken about a topic that you want to hear us talk about, please let us know in the comments. Or sometimes we have a bad habit of going off on tangents. So we'll say, hey, we're going to talk about that. And then we don't talk about that. Please know that we're keeping a list of the things we haven't addressed so we can address them in a later episode that'll just be kind of a hodgepodge like, oh, and -and so-and-so wants to know what are your thoughts on chapter 55? So (laughs) that'll be, it'll be fun. And I think it helps engaging with us, especially on Instagram. If you're not following us, please feel free to ACOFAE podcast on Instagram. And we look forward to hearing all the interactions. That's one of the reasons we wanted to start this podcast is just to keep talking about it and understanding different points of view. It makes it fun.
0: So thanks for listening and tune in next week. Thank you. Bye.